Hello and welcome to Eisen Amper's podcast series, where we try to dig a little deeper on the accounting and finance issues facing business professionals and their clients. Today we're talking with Robert Mursky, head of Eisner Amper's London office and head of the firm's asset management group for the UK, about what, if anything, has changed with Brexit as a result of the current global pandemic. Robert, welcome and thanks for being here in these truly unique times. Hey, Dave. Thanks for having me. Uh, so on a more broad scale, how are things in the UK overall? You know, from a from a health and economy perspective, given COVID nineteen, um, you know, I think it's I think it's much like it is in the in the U.S. right now, where obviously there there's a lot of economic stress, and we're under very similar kinds of lockdown rules. Now, I'd have to believe that this pandemic has impacted Brexit uh, and the negotiations in some way, shape, or form. Has it? And if so, how? Yeah, so so it, it has pretty pretty significantly. The United Kingdom formally left the European Union uh, on the 31st of January this year after a withdrawal agreement was agreed. Um, you may remember from our last podcast, a withdrawal agreement uh, was agreed between the EU and the UK last year, and the UK formally left uh, this year. But before the full effect of the withdrawal comes into play, the UK is in what's known as a transition period, which runs until at least the 31st of December this year. And during that period, the UK will continue to benefit from the single market, the customs union, regulatory uh, benefits, and, and and everything else. And so there's, there's no immediate changes to the right to live or work between the EU in the UK, no additional checks or tariffs required and things like that. That is until at least the, the 31st of December this year. But since the COVID-19 pandemic has disrupted so much of daily life, both here and, and abroad, uh, there have been calls to delay that 31st of December date for the end of the transition period. And in the intervening period, the UK and the EU through Michel Barnier on the EU side and David Frost on the, on the British side have been negotiating the intricacies of the trade deals that should come into effect post-withdrawal period. Those negotiations have been ongoing, but as you said, because of the pandemic, both the practical ability to do those negotiations and also the ability for people to come up with a real conclusion here have been pushed back. With all the major EU nations still in lockdown, there are there are problems in terms of finding conference space, you know, where where people can socially distance and negotiate. And so most of the negotiations have been taking place via video conference. And so it has really slowed down how things are going. Okay. Do you foresee any significant developments in the short term? You know, wh- what are the headlines going to be for the second half of the year? So, so as I said before, there are ongoing negotiations between uh, <clears throat> Frost and, and Barnier. Actually, the next round of negotiations is supposed to be taking place next week. Hopes aren't that high for progress in reaching a trade agreement post-withdrawal at the end of this year. Uh, given given sort of the passive aggressive barbs between the two sides after the last negotiations two weeks ago. And so, you know, there is the possibility that Boris Johnson, the UK's prime minister, could request an extension to the deadline by the end of June. And in fact, that is the next deadline to technically to request an extension if it seems that the UK or the EU won't be able to stick to the original timeline. But that seems pretty unlikely. And if you look at what businesses are doing here, they are preparing. Banks are sort of dusting off their no deal Brexit plans again, as that might happen. And without that deal, the UK would be trading with the EU 
on the same WTO, World Trade Organization terms, complete with, with tariffs. The sticking points over the next few weeks, really the points that are going to be driving the negotiations, there are many, but three of the big ones, and it's interesting to think about this, you know, for example, access to UK fishery areas. The last few days, the UK's suggested that even the British Navy could be used to defend British waters against EU fishing boats, somewhat reminiscent of the, the Iceland British cod wars in the 1960s and 70s. There's the the other negotiating the, another negotiating point is the the so-called level playing field, which involves the UK agreeing to EU rules on workers' rights, environmental protection, state aid, taxation, in order to have zero tariffs with the UK. And then the final one, and maybe the most difficult, is is what's called the Northern Ireland Protocol. This is the institution of customs borders between Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland, as well as Northern Ireland with the rest of the UK. You'll remember Northern Ireland is part of the United Kingdom and will remain in a customs union with the United Kingdom, but will also have single market access to Europe. And so how do you implement customs controls between those borders? The UK needs to hire, they they estimate around 50,000 staff not just to deal with Northern Ireland, but across the UK to deal with the customs border between uh, between the UK and, uh, and Europe. Okay. Now, from where you sit, give us a little bit of a, a longer term view. Do you envision perhaps some sort of mor- moratorium or dare I say even a Brexit cancellation? I, I think I think it's too late for that. Let's start with the basic fact that Brexit is, is, is done already. I mean, there was a formal withdrawal agreement that was accepted by both sides. So, so Brexit is a fact. Now we're just deciding what kind of Brexit it, it'll be. Back in October, the OECD predicted that with a no-deal Brexit, the UK's economic growth would suffer a loss of around 3% for, for the next few years. The reality of the impact of coronavirus, though, on the economy is far greater. With the UK looking at a you know, 14% decrease in GDP, the Bank of England is predicting that this is the worst economic crash since 1706. As a slight interesting historical note, another natural disaster happened that year with cold and wet weather sort of causing poor harvests, pre-industrial revolution and a war with France, which ended up in much lower outputs. This is a massive hit to the UK economy and more so than than many other nations in, in Europe. And so the prediction for the economy here is that while it may have a particularly deep recession compared to some of, you know, Germany or France, the recovery may end up being steeper here, given the relative strength of the UK economy. It would appear that the UK government may actually be in a better position to threaten a so-called hard Brexit now, coming out of the EU without any trade deal because of the potential for conflation of the economic damage from the pandemic and Brexit itself. So the government may be thinking strategically that now is the time to really push very hard for any concessions it could possibly get on trade, as it'll be very hard to parse the difference of economic impact between coronavirus and Brexit itself. Combined with the insistence by the UK government that they will not ask for an extension, it seems very unlikely that we're going to get one at the end of the year. Now, with the peak of coronavirus seemingly passed in the UK and most EU states, there is some hope that talks can begin and we, we may get some movement. And there, you know, there's some very recent press about that happening in the UK in terms of trade deals. You know, it is appearing very unlikely at this point that we're, we're going to get a, a real 
significant trade deal in place before the end of this year. And just a couple quick notes uh, related to this, is particularly as it relates to financial services and regulation between the EU and the UK. Unfortunately, there's very little clarity. Both EU regulators and UK regulators are making plans and have had back-channel negotiations to ensure continued functioning of markets and liquidity, but marketing passports, equivalency, and the like are very much up in the air and, and not necessarily at the forefront of the negotiations right now. As such, we've seen a large number of asset managers from the UK and indeed non-EU countries seeking to establish uh, an EU base for continued access uh, to, to EU markets. And then interestingly, on a US-UK note that's related to all this is the likelihood of a UK-US trade deal. One of the, the points that the, the Leave campaign in the UK was pushing is that the UK would be able to negotiate its own deals with the rest of the world. And I spoke recently with senior US administration officials about what is the likelihood of this happening? Is it really a priority? And was told it really is. Although obviously there are a number of other pressing trade negotiations, for example, China and the US happening right now. The UK deal is pretty high on the priority list for both the US and UK governments. For the UK, a deal would show that the UK can go it alone, as well as providing economic benefit, reduction of tariffs, so they're not particularly high to begin with, but reduction of regulatory and tax barriers between the, the two. And, and for the US, the UK represents a rich market for US agriculture and manufactured goods, as well as being a good trading partner uh, and, and the financial services flow back and forth between the two. So I think that's where we're going to end up is, is a US-UK trade deal and no trade deal between the EU and the UK. Okay, Robert. Well, Thanks for your unique insight. I'm sure we'll talk again. And in the meantime, stay safe. Thanks, Dave. You too. And thank you for listening to the Eisner Amper podcast series. Visit EisnerAmper.com for more information on this and a host of other topics. And join us for our next Eisner Amper podcast when we get down to business.